Thank you, Pastor. I was telling Amber after the message this morning that that's about as close as somebody's come to preaching the message I was going to preach. I mean, I guess I could just say, you know, ditto and just we'll go to Brahms. But, but, but I, you know, I'm here, so let's, let's do this thing, you know. So, I, I, you know, pastor has been saying, you know, you know, when some of us have been teaching and he's going to, you know, drive, drive the nail that I set. I, I don't think I'm capable of driving any nails that he's already set. You know, maybe I could put the cherry on top, but that's probably a terrible analogy too. But so, um, I want to turn to, uh, well, I'm going to be in a bunch of scriptures. The Mainly, um, I'm going to be in, actually, I'm going to be in all the Gospels. So Matthew chap- chapter 11, uh, let me get there. I'm going to start there and see where we can go from there. Matthew chapter 11, uh, and verse 14, and a lot of you that were in my class um, will recognize this verse, but it doesn't mean I'm talking about the same thing, okay? And if you are willing to receive, he is Elijah, the one about to come. The one having ears to hear, let him hear. And in John chapter 1 and verse 23, it said, I am the voice of the one calling out of the wilderness, make way, make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him into every city and place where he himself was going to come. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing me the opportunity, Lord, to to do my best to preach your word as you have given it to me, Lord. Lord, as we've been talking in class, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the people here, Lord, will open up their hearts to receive it, Lord. If they can just receive it, Lord, your word as it comes forth, Lord, then it will change them as it's changed me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I I had this question last time I preached, you know, I was talking about Elijah, and I'm not going to go too too deep into Elijah again. Um, But how were Elijah and John alike other than wearing the same clothes? Well, when you look at the settings that they were both in, they have a couple of things in common. One, uh, both of them appro- approached kings that were not that were complete, completely possessed by the devil, and had to speak things to them that they did not want to hear, and that's dangerous. If you speak to a murderer things they don't want to hear, you are treading on some thin ice. So both would confront kings, both would enter a scene in which the people are doing what is right in their own eyes, and very few will be speaking for the Lord. In fact, in Elijah's time, Elijah's not even aware of anybody else that's speaking what the Lord has to say. And so what what they both had to do was they had to both straighten the way for the word of the Lord. Now, it says in John chapter 123, this is what Isaiah the prophet said, but I want to read you what Isaiah the prophet did say. So in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, it says, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness and make smooth in the desert a highway for our God and let every valley be lifted up 
and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become plain. So in other words, if you think about what Elijah did and what he said, how he said it, and you think about what John did and what, what he said and how he said it, they were there to put the Lord in his proper place where he wasn't currently, to bring the Lord up and to pre, bring the people down because the people had their own thing in mind. They were doing what they thought was right. They were doing religious things. But as, as uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, Elijah approached all the people and said, how long are you going to struggle with two choices? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, but if Baal, follow him. And this is what John would say. He would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when the Pharisees came to, to see him, he said, he said you're, you're not any more children of Abraham than these rocks here. He's speaking straight to them. There's nothing, I would not call anything that John said sugar-coated or, or palatable to hear. It was as straight as it can be. In fact, Jesus refers to him and says, what did you go to hear when you went to hear John? A reed shaking in the wind, as Elijah says, a man of two opinions. Is that what you're here to hear? No, of one opinion. One way, one straight road, straight being point A to point B, no stopping off, no pit stops, just one direction. And that he is going to make the way smooth for the Lord. So, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 11, let me just turn there real quick. Mark chapter 6. And verse 11. Let me, let me see if that's where I want to go. I'm going to start at verse 10. And he said to them, so now what, what's going on here is what I read in Luke chapter 10. He is now sending his disciples and many others two by two out to proclaim the gospel. So as he said to them, wherever you enter into a house, remain there until you go out from there. And as many will not receive you, nor hear you, having gone out from there, shake the dust under your feet for a testimony to them. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, I'm going to flip over there too. We're going to be reading a lot because I want to make, I want to be real clear here. I don't want anybody, you know, I'm going to say some, some things that are a little tough. So in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and we're going to read verse 12 and 13. Actually, I'll just read verse 11. It says, and into whatever city or village you enter, ask who in it is worthy and remain there until you go out. But entering in the house, greet it, and if the house is truly worthy, let peace be upon it. Now hear this. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So who is worthy? There are certain parts of Scripture that it's really, it's really tough, to, it's tough to swallow. And when I read this, I've read this a bunch of times. This was a little tough to swallow. Who is worthy? Do we believe this is how we are to evangelize or do we have a better way? Is there a better way? 
do we know better than Jesus how to win the lost? Other than what he's saying right here. See, this is, he is asking them to do no different than what John the Baptist did. They are going to go out. He's going to send them. He's going to give them power and authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, as he says, and to heal and to uh, raise the dead and to, to cast out devils. But they're also to proclaim the kingdom. They're going to make the way straight because what Jesus is going to do, and when you read in, I think it's Luke, it says, yeah, what I read in Luke, it says, and then he proceeded to go after them. So they would go to a town, and they would be proclaiming, and then Jesus would go to that town after them. And what they would do is they would proclaim the kingdom, and then Jesus would come in, and they would receive him or not. That's what they were, to, they were doing. They were to let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. That's what they were doing. They were doing this akin to what John the Baptist was doing, being sent before Jesus. See, but we... But I want to key on this worthy part here. Because in our mind, see, there's things about Scripture that we, I, I'll just say I, because I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. But when I look at it, I, I think there's a better way. It doesn't appeal to what I, to my sense and my reason to how to win people to Jesus or how to make the path straight for Jesus. See, because when we think make the, make the path straight, when the modern church may, may, uh, thinks about making the path straight, how they view it is make the path smoother for the people. In other words, instead of bringing God high and people low, it's let's bring people up and God down so that people can kind of meet in the middle. This comes from their view of who Jesus is. Because in their mind, Jesus is the mediator. So we got an angry, unreasonable God, and then we've got a really nice Jesus. And he's going to make it palatable for all the good people out there that just, they don't know the Lord, and they just want to serve the Lord. And we got angry God over here, and he's just going to make it right. He's going to make their case before the Lord. But the truth is, we're not dealing with people. See, there's a fallacy that goes out there. Paul says this, you are convicted by your own conscience about who, about who the Lord is. There's this fallacy going out there that there's just, you know, there's so many people in America, they never heard the gospel. Foolishness. Their own conscience drives them towards the, towards the Lord, and they reject them, reject him based on that. Everybody in America, I... Or is there some island out there where they haven't heard the gospel? I don't know. I'm not on that island, so I don't know. I'm dealing with America. And in America, we're dealing with not a people that just haven't heard. We're dealing with a stiff-necked, stubborn people. That's what we're dealing with. Has anybody ever asked, you know, have had this thought? And I've had this thought. That person would make a really good Christian. I really like that person. They make a really good Christian. You know what the Lord dropped in my heart as I was studying this? You know who makes good Christians? Christians. Those, who, those, those are the ones. Those who are worthy to receive the message. And not only that, receive the message. Messenger. Those are the ones that are worthy of being Christians. But we don't want to look at people as being worthy or unworthy. 
We don't like that term. But Jesus says, if they, re- if they don't receive you and they don't receive the message, they're not worthy. They're not worthy. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And I've been guilty. I've been guilty. I remember I, you know, I had this um, young couple, and when I was really doing the fish stuff, um, he bought some fish from me, and I was it's like, oh, man, this guy, kid's awesome. You know, we, he loves to sing. There's very few people that like fish, you know, so you meet one, and you're just, yeah, awesome. You know, and they were a young couple. They'd come over to our house, and, and I began to talk to them, and I began to, you know, speak to them, and I was really excited because they came to basketball, you know, a few times, and we had basketball on Mondays, and I think a couple times they even came to church, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, a fish guy and a guy is going to serve the Lord. Oh, man, this is awesome. Lord, you're just so good. Well, I, a few months went by, and then they had some problems, and I just find, I went over there to their house, and I something, it was the Lord just gone on me. These people don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. They're coming to basketball. They're kind of hanging out. These people don't want to receive the Lord. What am I doing? I'm not wasting my time with these kids anymore. You know, they're a little bit younger than me, but I'm just not wasting my time because they're not worthy. They're not worthy. But we really want to make it worth, make people worthy. We really, we don't want to think of people as not being able to receive. But when they reject you and they reject what you say, they are rejecting Jesus. And when they reject Jesus, Jesus says something really simple. You shake the dust off your feet, and you move on. If those who are worthy receive what you say, they will receive you. But if we become more concerned about them receiving us than receiving him, then we will tailor the message to make sure that they receive me. We will do that. In Luke 9, 9, 5, it says, As many as not receive you, going out from that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. In other words... Wash your hands of it. There comes a point when people are just not receiving what you have to say anymore. What they are receiving is they're just receiving you as a person. They're not receiving you as a Christian. And we sometimes conflate those two. That because they like my personality or that, you know, which is, I doubt it, you know. But not in my case anyway. But somehow... You know, if they accept me, then they're going to accept Jesus, and that's not true. If they accept my personality, they're not accepting Jesus, okay? But our nature is so crafty, it finds subtle subtle ways to make it about us. And so we make it personal. We don't want to shake the dust off our feet. We want to put in a little bit more time, a little bit more kindness, a little bit more good words, a little bit more... You know, if I can just really help them out, invite them over some more, and just those kind of things. But there comes a point when they are no longer listening to anything about the gospel. They're just coming over for good stuff. Our need, the gospel of Jesus is by his people. There, the gospel of Jesus is not received by his people. Then there's something wrong with the people, not wrong with you. Let me say that again. If they don't receive the gospel coming from you, it's not about you. It's about him. So if it's about him, then they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. And that means there's something wrong with them. Okay? 
But we want to make it like I didn't say the right word. I didn't say I, my timing was off. I was a little bit harsh here. You know, foolishness. No, no. They reject Jesus. And if they reject Jesus, they are not worthy. Amen? Am I, everybody following me on that? Okay. The words of Jesus are hard to believe. And they're even harder to do. As with the words love, grace, mercy, we define, we define them ourselves and then we assign them to the Lord. However, and hear me on this, if obedience is better than sacrifice, then doing what we are commanded is greater than winning the lost. It's greater than winning the lost. But it's been drilled in our head from the time you come to the altar that it is your duty to win the lost. And you are judged on how many on if you win them or not. No. I am not here to win the lost. That's not my job. That's his job. Now, he, he will use me, and my life will be an open book. But I am here to make the path straight for the Lord. That's what I'm here to do. Now, if people reject that, that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with them. If a person receives a gospel outside of the order in which Jesus lays out for his people, they have not received him. They've received me. And nobody is saved by me. Nobody. The order of Jesus, if they have received us, Jesus is in us, then they will receive the body of Christ. If they don't receive the body of Christ, they haven't received Christ. If they receive the gospel in me, then they will receive you, the body. But if there are people going out that receive you and reject the body, they are not receiving Jesus. Let me make that clear. If they receive you and reject the body of Christ, they are not receiving Jesus. They're receiving you. And you don't save anybody, and I don't save anybody. Is everybody following me on that? Okay. The danger lies in this, that whatever our objective, no matter how good intention, the minute we leave the commandment and the order of Jesus, it becomes about us and not about him. Turn with me to, to Luke uh, chapter 4, and, or uh, Luke chapter 14, sorry. There are parts of the scripture, you know, that, you know, that I, I look at and I just, I was telling Chris this morning that, you know, I look at him, I go, no, that doesn't apply, apply to me. You know, that doesn't really, I don't really fit that criteria. You know, when Jesus says, you know, it's hard for a rich man to, to get into heaven, I go, yeah, that's right. I'm not rich, so, all right. Doesn't apply to me. You know, of course it does apply, you know. All things apply to me. You know, all things apply to us. But, you know, sometimes we just look at it and we just, we find reason to overlook things. Okay, so in, in Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to start at verse 7. And he spoke a parable to those who had been invited, noting how they were choosing the chief seats, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not recline at the chief seat, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he coming to you and he inviting will say to you, give this, give this one place, and then you begin, begin with shame to take the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when he... He inviting you may come, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then glory will be to you for those reclining with you. 
For everyone exalting himself will be humbled, and the, the one humbling himself will be exalted. We like, we like the seats. I, I have to admit, I, I do like a, a good seat. I like being invited to people's houses, you know, because, you know, when you, in, uh, in this script or in the Old Testament, not Old Testament, in this time, excuse me, when you were invited to somebody's house, you were a guest and they treated you well. They would wash your feet. They would give you a place. You know, they, they would treat you as though, you know, with respect and reverence. And so I want you to picture this. These ones that are going two by two, they're going into other people's houses, and when they're invited in, they're invited as guests. And so they're being treated well. But then there comes a time when the Lord has to take his seat. When it's time for the Lord to take his seat, and we're sitting in it. Let me try to explain how that works. See, we, we're being, our, our feet are washed. We're being treated well. We're eating dinner, and and. Here comes, like, I don't know, Peter and John, and they're, okay, it's time to say something about the kingdom. Yeah, I don't think these people are going to receive it that well. Well, we might be kicked out of here. But I like the seat. I'm comfortable. This is good. I want, I, but then it's time for Jesus to take his seat. But we get trapped because we like the comfort, because we like being exalted a little bit. We like being needed. We like it when people go to us for advice. We like when people go to us for counsel. It makes us feel good about ourselves. But there has to come a point when Jesus needs to take his place, and we need to speak the truth, and we need to speak it and make that way straight for the Lord. And when that happens, you need to get up out of that seat. And sometimes you'll be kicked out of that seat. And a lot of times, these guys will get kicked out of that seat. At one point, John, I think it was Peter and John said, hey, Lord, can we call fire from heaven on that town? Because they, they weren't being received very well. Well, it wasn't that they were rejecting Peter and John. They were rejecting Jesus. But we get comfortable because we get a little bit exalted in some things, and we just feel we got a good high seat, you know, and, but it's time for the Lord to come in, and we got to move. It's time for him to come in. And when he comes in, he's going to say some things that the people who have invited you in are not going to like. And if they don't like it, and if they reject it, and if they reject you, you have to get out of there and shake the dust off your feet. You have to do it. If I fool myself into believing that somehow I have anything to do with salvation or restoration outside the order of Jesus Christ and his command, then I lose the capability of shaking the dust off my feet. Let me, let me kind of show you what, what I mean by that. I lose the ability to, to walk away from that when it becomes about me because I've got to make this work. Because if I don't make this work, then they're rejecting me and I don't want to be rejected. If I have to make this work, because if I don't, then I'm going to lose my seat here. And I like this place. And the Lord is calling us to shake the dust off and say, that's enough. They're not receiving it. But when it becomes about me, it's really, really hard to do that. It's really, really hard to do that. And so it's a calling of ours to make the way straight. Now, I don't have a short message. In fact, I'm wrapping up right now. 
But I want to I end with this. I want to end with this. In Luke chapter 9, let's go to Luke chapter 9, my last scripture here. We got a, it's already almost 7.30 because we got a late start. So I'm got, glad I got a short message. But Luke chapter 9 and verse 3, this is something that the word, you know, going along these lines, it says, um, and he sent, sent them to proclaim to, to the kings, this is verse 2, kingdom of God, and heal the, the ones being sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the way, neither staff nor money bags, nor bread nor silver, nor each, nor to each having two tunics, and into whatever house you enter, remain there. Now, I understand, you know, what he's saying here. You know, the Lord's going to provide. He doesn't want them taking a bunch of stuff with them. The Lord's going to provide for him, provide for them. But indulge me a little bit. Could it be also that what he's saying here is don't take anything other than the gospel to be the reason why they invite you in. Could it be that too? That if I got a rich tunic, you know, and I got a nice money bag, you know, and I've, I've got a really good stature and status in society, that maybe they might let me in because of that and not because of the gospel. You know, and sometimes we, sometimes we conflate our success in life with success in Jesus and they, those two do not have anything to do with one another. They don't cross over. You know, I, I knew a guy, um, you know, we used to go to, to meetings and, and he would be the, the guy leading the meeting all the time and he was a really, he's a really good guy. I, I like him. I think he's a really nice guy. But he always would make, make an effort to kind of explain how he's in with the politicians in Oklahoma, and he's got some ins in them. And yeah, I know. Yeah. And somehow he would kind of conflate that with, you know, the gospel. Somehow that gives him a status. And no, that doesn't give him any status at all. None. The Lord's not interested in that at all. It doesn't give him any more clout in the kingdom at all. The Lord wants you to take nothing but him when it comes to talking to people about just him. That's it. Because then if they reject you, they do reject him. They do reject him. Paul will say this in 1 Thessalonians. It says, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by the way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not intending to please people, not intending to please people, but to please God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech. As you know, nor with the pretext of greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others. He just came preaching the gospel. I can't take in my winning personality and my great charm, as much as it's awesome. I can't take that in. That's not going to win anybody to the gospel. Paul, I would not describe as a charming man. I would call him a direct man, a man who did not mince words, a man who was not interested in charming anybody around, but just bringing the gospel. And that way, all they receive is the gospel. Amen? Amen. Pastor.